0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Deep Dive. This week, we are welcoming back the guitarist and key songwriter for The Mighty Lemon Drops, David Newton. And David and I went back and forth. What album of theirs should we deep dive? Which one should we talk about? And we decide I decided, I should say, to go with their second album, World Without End. This is the fantastic disc that includes Inside Out. Not only their one of their best songs, but one of the best singles of the 80s British alternative era. So, so good. Now, David has a new album. He has a new kind of musical project, which we talked about when he was first on the on the podcast about four years ago. It's called David Newton and The Mighty Angels. And I stress the because it's T-H-E-E. The Mighty Angels. And they have a brand new album out. It's mostly him, but they have a brand new album out called A gateway to a lifetime of disappointment, which is a great line. It's a lyric from one of his songs. Anyway, so we talk about the new album, where it came from, what it sounds like, what he's doing during lockdown, and then we go deep on World Without End. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you pay attention to the Mighty Lemon Drops, the Mighty Angels, all of it, because David is such a fantastic guitar player and such a fantastic songwriter. Okay, so for starters, um, let's talk about a gateway to a lifetime of disappointment. When you were on the first time about four years ago, I um, I went right out and bought your EP, and I loved it, and a number of the songs from that EP are on this album. Yep. Tell me, I can't remember, maybe we talked about this before, but like, why now? I mean, you've been... You could have put out solo material at any point in the last 30 years or whatever. But <laughs> the last couple of years seem to be the time. What's new? What's different yeah. about now?
1: I think I mean, it, it not being kind of the obvious thing, but obviously a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands right now yeah. with lockdown and everything. And basically what happened was because I did the first, the five track, the Paint the Town EP, I actually put that out in 2011. Oh, that was okay. kind of a bigger step for me because I'd never done anything of my own before. I'd like obviously the Lemon Drops and I'd helped out playing with other bands. Like I played with Blue Airplanes for a while and I've been in several bands, you know, because the closest thing I have to resembling a day job is uh, I have a recording studio and I work with a lot of uh, other bands and artists, up-and-coming bands and stuff. So, and I, I, I kind of get, <laughs> in a good way, not, not roped into uh, playing with a lot of the bands that I've worked with, who, mm-hmm. you know, some of them were maybe more studio projects and then they had some live shows, so I would help out uh, playing with them live and stuff. So I kept my hand in doing stuff, but I'd never really done anything that was mine since the Lemon Drops, mm. which, I mean, the Lemon Drops was a collaborative thing, of course, it was a whole right. band but i would never done anything of my own you know and uh, so I did in 2011 I put out five songs as an EP called Paint the Town mm-hmm. which I think is the one that you mentioned Yep. and since then I've, I've been luckily been busy working again with other artists and bands but every now and again I would I'd put a song an idea of my own and I'd kind of having the luxury of having my own studio I'd just go and put something down and But a lot of them were kind of half finished, three quarter finished ideas. Hmm. And um, basically, what happened was uh, after March, I obviously kind of had to close the studio for outside people coming in. So I just started, I had all these half finished songs and ideas that I kind of put together and um, thought it maybe now was the time to do a, a full record of my own. Yeah. And so, because I didn't have a full album, and, and I didn't really full on kind of you know I hate to use words like promote, but the, the Paint the Town EP was kind of a you know it was just kind of test the water kind of thing that was, and yeah. just put some songs out there. So I thought I'd put those songs from that EP together with yeah. five five brand new ones, and uh, that's became what is
0: now the. I love it. Uh,
1: t- uh, um,
0: Gateway to a lifetime. lifetime. Of disappointment. I
1: couldn't even remember the title. I line. know
0: it's a long one, but that's a that's such a great line, and that's um, that's a line, a lyric from my first band, which, it is, is. <laughs> album, that which is, cool. is which is great. So what uh now, are you playing all the instruments on this thing then? Or are you recruiting some of the bands that come through your studio to do things on it? Or how does it work? It's a bit of both. Uh,
1: okay. The majority of it is, is stuff, uh, is, is, is me. I'm basically playing guitars, doing lead vocal, which was a new thing for me, by the way. I'd never yeah. really done that up until the Paint the 10 EP. Um, I have some friends on there. You know, I had, my friend Nick played drums on uh, half of the tracks and, uh, there's another track that I did on there, which is uh, the songs that change our lives. Yeah. Which, which is uh, my friend, Eddie Argos from Art Groot is on lead vocals. The, songs
2: mm-hmm. the Marcia, young, gifted, and black. The Jackson 5, I want you back. Ambition by the subway Sex, the John Pills sessions by the prefects. These are the songs. The songs that change our lives Solid Gold, easy action, psychotic reaction. These are the songs. The songs that change our lives. The meekums where were you? The hot rocks. Do anything you wanna do. Teenage treats, brickfield nights, I wanna see the we
1: I've actually got um, the drummer on that, he's a guy named Jeff Sullivan who was in Driving and Crying. Oh, sure. And, uh, yeah. And uh, oh. he, he was doing some other stuff in the studio and I had this song and he played on it. And my friend Chris, I friend Chris, Chris Kane played bass on yeah. that. Too. But for the moment, yeah. And the, oh, and the, uh, Sarah Niggador from Happy Hollow sings on, on one song, Bittersweet. Oh, right. but, but for the most of
0: the rest of it, is it's yeah. just dicking around
1: in space. It's,
0: it's beautiful. Um, I think my favorite song on it is probably Paint the Town. So vibrant and lively, and I don't know if you have heard this before. You remind me a lot of the Lightning Seeds.
1: I You're... love that comparison. I never get tired of that. I've had that a few times. Oh, and, have you really? And I, I'll take that as the, um, a total compliment because yes, that's kind of what you know. Um, I don't know whether it's you know fashionable or not, but like things like the Lightning Seeds and you know um, the, uh, the the electronic project, which was you know. Um, you know the band with uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and and all that. That that those that's kind of like my, my part of my influences. You know, it's yeah. just, it's kind of pop music, but right. melodic driven, and, yes. and that certain kind of influence.
0: Yeah, yeah. I you can totally hear it. You guys are all. I mean, I I think I have probably told you this when you, you were on before, but that British alternative sound of the '80s is just my favorite kind of music in the world and all the bands Great. that you're mentioning and that played with you and that are influ- that you influenced you and I'm sure you influenced in return that is that's all the stuff I love to hear so this new this new album of yours is like right there in the sweet spot I love it so anyone who's listening yeah. and wants to wants to go back in time practically to that beautiful melodic Alternative chiming guitar rock, and you're gonna hear the word chiming guitar a lot because that comes up in the <laughs> album we're talking about. Um, it's just so good.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what you know, it's kind of natural to me. It's like I didn't think that I was gonna make a record in a certain direction, it's just what naturally,
0: yeah,
1: what I do. It's the way that I kind of write songs, and you know, I'm kind of glad. So, I'm you know, that those to be compared to somebody like Ian Brody or. Yeah. Uh, It's a, you know, a compliment. Good.
0: That's it. That's it. So good. Okay. Well, good. I hope people check it out. I, uh, let's, we're going to deep dive world without end, which was the second mighty lemon drops album. It came out in February of 1988, which means you recorded in 87. And, And one of the things I like to find out is from what I can tell, and I should say, there's not. I can't. There's not a ton of information. I normally like to. There's usually it's like some articles, and I'll take quotes from articles, and I'll insert them in our conversation or reviews. I didn't find a lot of those. I didn't even find a lot of lyrics. And there's not a lot of <laughs> lyrics printed in the. There aren't any lyrics printed in the CD case. I think the,
1: the only way you can find lyrics to that is there's a Japanese issue.
0: Oh, and they,
1: they actually—they figure out the lyrics for themselves. <laughs> I've, got, I've got several other albums by other bands, artists, and well, uh, as well, and the lyrics are like sometimes not quite correct. Right. It's entertaining. <laughs> to, to I, say be, the
0: I bet. What do the Japanese think you're saying in English on this song? That's great. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, okay, it was uh, so. Let's talk now. It was produced by Tim Palmer, who is. <laughs> One of the greatest. I he love is. him and uh, I love everything he does. He, uh, about a year ago, I contacted him to come on the show and he said, yeah, um, I'm really busy right now. I'll let you know when I'm not. And then I've never heard from him since. That's so because he's because he's really busy. He's really busy. Yeah. He uh, he worked on the, I, I don't know if you're involved in that um, Tower of Strength. That Wayne Hussey from the mission did you see this yeah I saw that the the, the charity thing that he just did. yes yeah I did yeah. see that yeah, I think yeah, Tim yeah. produced that so yeah he's, yeah he's always moving
1: he'd actually just finished uh, God's Own Medicine the mission album did he? and uh, so it was well I think we were directly after that no and uh, so he did that and then he then he did the, the tin machine thing yes him, yes uh, which was all around the same the same kind of period same time yeah.
0: <laughs> so much of what he's worked on, I love. But I uh it looks like this album was recorded at Rockfield Studios in Wales and Utopia Studios in London. Yep. And uh I'm cu- I'm always curious who else was at the studio recording their own stuff when you were there doing your thing. Do you remember?
1: <laughs> I can, yeah. Like uh we did our previous album at Rockfield as well. We did okay. Happy Hair. We did the two albums there and we also, in between the two, we did a lot more work there. We did like B-sides and extra tracks and we mixed a bunch of live songs at Rockfield. It was our number one choice. I was still, we were all still living in the Midlands, near Wolver- in Wolverhampton, which is near Birmingham. And uh, Monmouth in Wales, it's, it's quite easy to get to from the Midlands. It's like about an hour and a half, you know, car ride. Mm-hmm. So it was convenient. And also, we loved Rockfield because it's um, it's a residential studio where you actually you live in. It's out of the way, but it's also there. There's a little kind of village, kind of town nearby, which has some great, you know, really like really great pubs and stuff. So oh, nice.
0: It. Okay, It was
1: great. And uh, so we liked it for a lot of a lot of those reasons. And um, I think the first album we had. That petrol emotion. Oh yeah! It, uh, at the same time, so we'd see those guys. Um, uh, we also had. Oh God, you had a lot of bands. We had the Chameleons. Well, I love actually, the
0: Chameleons.
1: Well, it was actually just after the Chameleons because we toured with the Chameleons yeah. in the US on our first album, and then they kind of imploded and they became the so what became the the Sun and the Moon. Yeah. And uh, so that was being recorded at Rockville at the same time. Uh, we had a band called Stump, a C86 band uh, from around the same time as us. We had uh, our f- actually friends of ours, balaam and the Angel, uh, were also recording there at the same time. Um, huh. There were a lot. There were, quite, there were quite a lot. So we'd all always run into, you know, run into, yeah. people would kind of stop by and, you know, like... um. Like even, i mean, in like, <laughs> I remember Tapau coming by one time. Yeah. <laughs> they were at their height at the time. They were yeah. Like, yeah. I think they lived not far, not fairly nearby.
0: No way. But there was
1: always someone around, you know, and the, I think the, the best of all for us was um, we were recording Well Without Ends, and Tim Palmer had just finished, he'd done the Robert Plant album, Now oh. and Zen.
0: Uh-huh. And, Love
1: that uh huh. album. Uh, one one Friday afternoon, we were working, and Tim took a phone call, and he came back in the studio. We were working. He's like, "He goes, do you mind if I ask you something?" He goes, uh, "I've just had Robert on the phone," and we're like, "Robert?" Hook. And he's like, "Fucking Robert Plant." <laughs> like, he said, "Do you mind if he stops by? He wants to f- fix a couple of lines on one of the songs that he did and." Uh, he asked if you'd mind if he came, and we're like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? <laughs> so, sure enough, an hour later, Robert Plant turns up with a case of beer. He goes, here you go, lads, I brought you a gift. He goes, do you mind? I won't take long. And, uh, and he goes, you can stick around if you want. So, we uh-huh. kind of sat there, watched Robert Plant re-record um, vocals for that song, Heaven Knows. From that. Yes. I think it became a single. <laughs> and then and Tim's like, hey, Robert, do you want to stay for dinner? You know, because we used to have dinner there. Sure. Robert's like, are you, are you sure? Is it okay, lads? And we're like, are you kidding? <laughs> and Robert Kahn ended up staying, stayed for no dinner way. with us. So, so it was just, things like that would happen at Rockfield, even though it was like in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. In the middle of Wales. Wow. But, uh, it was a trip. And because Robert's also from, it's he's, he's from near us. He's from
0: uh-huh.
1: the black country. And uh-huh. he supports the same football team. He supports Wolverhampton. Oh no football. way. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot to talk about. It was great.
0: Oh my gosh, because, your head must... That's
1: one, bust. Of the, one, of the, one of the memories of, um, one of, yeah. the memories of recording more with that.
0: And that's amazing. That that's amazing. Now, so you were saying the studio was residential, so you would sleep mm-hmm. there. If there are mm-hmm. other bands there recording, I'm just imagining at night, <laughs> get you guys getting up to all kinds of whatever. It could be... <laughs> It could be anything from a pillow fight to, you know, drugs or an orgy. It could be whatever, you know? It wasn't quite that kind of crazy. Um,
1: the only thing like kind of not spoiler, uh, but uh, the two the 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 accommodation to the two studios is separate. So you know the, the, the there's two separate studios. Okay. And uh, the accommodation for the one we preferred was actually right next to in the same um, Okay the same building basically whereas the other studio the accommodations a bit of a ways away. Got it. Uh, we, went, we There was a, a communal kind of pool, uh, pool tables areas uh-huh. and areas and we'd kind of hang out and play with, you know, uh, drink beer with bands and stuff but so it was fun really. I mean we got did you know we uh, got to see a lot of bands.
0: Wow. Do you ever miss those days? Those big you know studios with the kitchens and the pool tables and stuff like they just don't even exist anymore everyone just does everything in their house in their home like I you and say, like me <laughs> well i mean you when i say that i mean you've got your studio in your house that you know that's your uh, kind of it's, your business yeah,
1: it's, it's a separate it's not in the actual house it's a, oh i see a separate, okay the two car garage that I okay get, but, but i mean yeah i do think of that quite a bit because a lot of those bigger studios did they did close when yeah. uh, the people could realize that they could do some of their own. But having said that, you there's something about a bigger space where you can have a full band playing yeah. together yeah. loudly. And you know, you that, that for one you can't do at home.
0: Yeah. Okay. But that's yeah. what
1: Rockfield was somewhere like Rockfield was was great great for. That's wild. And, and I don't know if you are you aware of this, but you know there was there's a film, a documentary on Rockfield that came no. out. Yeah, a couple of months ago, you can find it. It's a, I think it's online now. I'm not sure that it's available legally in the uh-huh. US. You can't. You can find it though. Okay. Uh, but it was actually it was it was shown on TV in the UK. Oh, nice. And it was, it was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest this uh-huh. year, but then sure. lockdown happened and it got, got cancelled. But, okay. uh, but I have seen it, and it's 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 a really really good uh, good document. Great. Okay.
0: Well, I'm going to look for that. I'm a sucker for Rock Docs. Oh, it's any great. It's
1: really good. And there's like a lot of the, you know, like our Oasis are in it. And, uh, wow. you know, uh, Stone Roses are in it. And, um, okay. people who like the early people from Rockford, like Dave Edmonds, who mm-hmm. was one of the kind of the first, he was kind of involved in it from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so it's good. It's worth watching. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. let's go track by track. Uh, I will say one thing. I, You know, it's funny. I... You and I were going back and forth about whether to do this album or Laughter and and I'm I'm consistently stumped on which one I like better. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I love them both so much and and most often I lean a little bit more toward Laughter and liking a little uh, Laughter a little bit more. So I thought well I'll listen to them both again <laughs> to get ready and decide and uh I still love them both, but I think I'm leaning toward this one. It's, it could, depending on the day, I can't tell you which one I love more. They're both so incredible. But this one, uh, it kicks off with probably the signature Mighty Lemon Drop song, Inside Out, and it's one uh-huh. of the best alternative rock singles, one of the best singles ever. And uh, so tell me, it is, you know this. This song is on my running playlist. <laughs> I love it. How, what was the inspiration for Inside Out?
1: Well, the, the one thing I should point out before we go on is the difference between World Without End and Laughter is for the first, the big, from the beginning of the band up until the end of World Without End, uh, the, the two main songwriters in the band, that was myself and Tony Linehan, the bass player, and so we, we both would kind of write songs like, you know, I have a song and then Tony would kind of fine tune it the other way around. The difference with laughter was Tony was not in the band any longer. And it was, I actually wrote most of the songs on laughter myself. So that's a fundamental difference
0: Got between,
1: between the two albums. Whereas War Without End was still a collaborative effort. Like it was half written by me and half written by Tony. Got it. Pretty much. Um, um, are you uh,
0: typically a music guy or a lyric guy
1: uh, i'm a music guy
0: uh, Okay.
1: Really. and uh, you know uh, i do write, i pretty much i do write lyrics but uh, you know i kind of prefer it when somebody else okay <laughs> <the> lyrics, but,
0: <laughs> okay uh,
1: but inside out was uh, that one that one was pretty much pretty much me like i i had the idea of the the, the chord progression and the hook for the chorus and I I kind of wrote a lot of that myself at home then generally what we would do was um, I had like both Tony and I had um, four track Porter Studios and we'd do rough demos at home and then we'd show them present them to uh, you know Paul and Keith and then we would go into our rehearsal room and you know rehearse them get all the parts into shape Then we were going to, there was a, a, I guess, a a demo studio in uh, in Birmingham where we used to rehearse. And we do like basic, rough, like super rough. We do like three or four songs in a day, Mm -hmm. like actual band demos. Yeah. Before, you know, and then we'd, in the case of World Without End, we'd give them to Tim, Tim Palmer. Mm -hmm. And then we'd do, you know, pre production, we'd get in a, fine tune, knock bits out. Yeah, that bit there, you don't need that. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim would make suggestions, you know, you could do a bit more with that there, do this, blah, blah, blah. So then that's the collaborative pre, you know, kind of pre-production stage, Mm -hmm. we'll be doing that. And then by the time we got to Rockfield Studios, we kind of got everything into shape. And I mean, that's how World, that's how uh, Inside Out came together. Started as a four track, Demo um, did it uh, yeah. in Birmingham and then knocked it into
0: shape sure with Tim. Yeah, just kept progressing. I never like questions like this but I'm gonna ask this one anyway. When you wrote it or when you were listening to the playback or whatever, were you thinking to yourself, we're really on to something here? This is gonna be... Do you feel like it's your signature song? Do you feel like it's oh. the... Was there any idea of that? Well, you, you, you don't know really. I mean... If that's an interesting question
1: but it's i think in our case i i don't think you ever wake up in the morning. at least i, I don't or uh-huh. a, a tony would never wake up and think right today's the day to write the single <laughs> right. <You> know, <laughs> right that's, right. that's put in, not putting it, it is putting pressure on yourself to do that yeah but um you know i mean you just kind of put songs together and but it does kind of become apparent once you get into the studio yeah which ones are going to be, you know, this, this sounds more like a single and, you know, yeah. we'd never like kind of, we tried not to put, we just try and write like 10 songs. Yeah. You know, yeah. not like, let's, you know, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you know,
1: yeah. We'd, we'd try, you know, I'm not going to say all filler, no killer.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> or the well, other way around. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, let's see. Um Some of the things, some of the hallmarks of this song that I really like, obviously the fade in is great. um, There's really great backing vocals. Are you singing backing vocals? Is Paul, you know, just doubled or tripled? How does Uh, that happen? Let
1: me think think on that one. I think that's Paul doing everything on Inside Okay. Okay. A lot of them were, um, you know, comparing to the demo, you know, a lot, I think quite a few, a lot of that was Tim's suggestions. Okay. They kind of the, to to emphasise certain parts and lines, okay. And inside out, I'd have to go back and listen to the demo, but um, okay. I um, think that might have been Paul doing a lot of the backing vocals on that.
0: Probably was. It was um, always
1: the case, but it was. You know, I think on, ins- on inside out it was.
0: Okay. There's you've like a hear,
1: you've got to hear the sound of his yeah. His voice, you know? Yeah.
0: There's a like a spoken word midsection. Does that when you're writing the song is that? Does, um, like, where does the idea for that come from?
1: I think that was in there from the beginning. you know.
0: Really? That so you when the- you're writing the song, you guys have the idea to insert this kind of spoken midsection a little bit. It's not spoken, but yeah, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I okay. think by that point, I think with the first album with Happy Head, it was more like because we were a, a glorified garage band in some ways. Uh-huh. With this like literally... Because a lot of the songs on Happy Head, the previous album, were written before we had a record. We never thought in a million years we uh-huh. would a record, uh, when we wrote songs like Like an Angel and sure. Happy Head and all that. Whereas, I think on War Without End, we kind of, you know, we, we, we'd already made an album. So it was subconsciously there that it was going to be a, on an album and not yeah. be a single. Okay. Whereas when we wrote the songs for Happy Head, Who knew? They were just, just songs. To- That's
0: what we had. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, okay, track two, One by One. This yeah. one's also killer. Songs have great intros. It's heavy bass, chiming guitar, big drums. Um, mm-hmm. When I listen to this song, I I wonder what someone like Steve Lillywhite would have done with a song like this, because yeah. he and that's not a knock on Tim at all. I just Steve always makes drums sound so huge, like uh-huh. you're marching off to war. And I would I was just thinking I wonder what Steve would have done with a song like this. Was it influenced at all by a band like Big Country or The Alarm or anything like that? Were you thinking about any of those people or bands when you wrote something like this?
1: Not particularly, no. Oh. I mean, I'm aware of those bands that they, they weren't really the big influences on on the Lemon Drops. Yeah. Um I don't know really with that. That was It's just
0: how it came out.
1: It's just how it came out, you know. Okay. That, uh, one by one was that that was Tony, that uh, that song was originally, you know, it was his his song basically. Uh-huh. But um, the intro, I think, that intro came together in the studio. Like, there was a like post demo thing, so I do have a demo of that, and it does not have that intro on it. Well, oh. that may have been partly Tim, or it okay. may have been just myself or Tony, or somebody else helping evolve it into that. Well okay. because I think on the demo he just goes bop, 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 and then just really in, yeah. So that came from somewhere. But that's a there's, good question. It was thirty years ago.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um
1: there's, there's a really
0: there's a really like heavy guitar middle section. Yeah. That which is not you know, you're not uh you don't go nuts on the guitar very often. There's one or two other songs yeah. on here that I'm gonna mention, but were you did you ever feel I don't know would you have rather or did you want to solo more or play harder or more often or noodle on some songs or are you okay servicing the song?
1: I'm better servicing the song like I've never been one for you know noodling we're not like that kind of band we're not a jam band we would never like you know we're not you know, even at Soundcheck, sometimes we'd dick around and play cover versions and stuff, but we never, like, jammed, man. And, like, none of us, you know, we were more, you know, uh, yeah. not only bringing drugs into the equation, but none of us were pot smokers, for instance. Yeah. Okay. You know, if we did, you know, I don't know,
0: uh-huh. take
1: drugs, it was more of an up thing than a yeah. kind of mellow out kind of thing, you know? <laughs> uh, so, but everything was quite, you know, I mean, not disappointing, I mean, disciplined to some degree. Okay. There was no, no real no jamming involved. We were all yeah. we those kind of bands. It wouldn't. It so have... was we all quite disciplined, really. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah. It wouldn't have made sense. I mean, it, these songs don't need guitar solos, but I'm wondering if you, as a guitar player, sometimes are like feeling constrained, like, I really got to express myself more in these songs. But it sounds like you don't. You're well, fine. There
1: are. There, there are, on some of the tracks on the album, there's... My idea of a solo is a, is a guitar playing a melody.
0: Ah, not, there you go.
1: Noodling off, like, kind of. There you go. You know, I mean, I can't even do, you can't see that work I'm doing with my fingers. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never really had any interest in doing that. I would rather write a melody. Good. Than do gymnastics with my I'm with you
0: on that. You know? I'm with you. Um, okay, I think yeah. It's,
1: it's more difficult. know you can you can go to uh, the in here you have the Musicians Institute or whatever or you know uh, one of those music schools and they can teach you how to like go do all this fast stuff but they can't really teach you how to write a song yeah it kind of comes from somewhere I mean I guess you can they can you know the I guess there is a a method kind of
0: to it but well it seems like it it they can enhance a talent that's already there I don't know that they could yeah. like I can't write a song I don't think yeah. I could go to school and learn how to write a great song but if yeah. I had a natural ability this would they teach me how to be better out. yes
1: well the thing is, is and I'm not I'm not bagging on things like musicians into but they sell it that they can Yeah, that they, true. That anybody, they will take anybody's twenty thousand thirty thousand dollars whatever it costs on the premise that they think they can turn you into a, a great songwriter. And I don't think that's that's possible. That's yeah. just me personally, you know? I think none you're probably those, right. I mean, none of the Rolling Stones went to, no, the Kinks went to uh, <laughs> Musicians Institute, or right. Ray Davis didn't, did he, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: not necessary. Um, okay, track three, and everything you do, yep. this song is beautiful. It's pretty epic. but it's still powerful. I was reading somebody's when I was researching the album to talk to you. I was I found mm-hmm. someone's blog or an article or something like that where they were they referred to this as maybe the best slow dance song ever, <laughs> and That's which crazy. yeah, which is good. And um, once again, the the drums, Keith's drums, and uh, Tony's bass work so well together on this. There's a real I hear a lot of like Cocteau twins. That yeah. sort of you know shimmering sound, lush, is another yeah. band I hear. Um, not those lush, I think was even after you, but just that beautiful shimmering guitar sound. What can you remember about this? Was it was it uh, influenced? Was it uh, inspired by somebody in particular?
1: Uh, I don't know. That that song was pretty much me. I came really? up with that. Like I wrote that. I wrote the guitar riff. Uh, Tim made it sparkle. Tim Palmer yeah, sparkle. He gave it that like kind go. of that sparkly kind of, you know, not cocktail twinsy. It's a little bit of that. I can see that a little. Uh, that wasn't the intention to, to, to have it to sound like that. Um, again, there's a, there is a demo of that in existence, and it's it's the same song, but there's less effects on the guitar. <laughs> so that one, that one was pretty much finished by the time we got to the studio with that one, (coughs) the demo that that, Tim definitely bought a lot out of it. Okay. But, um, it was kind of complete, you know, and I just bought uh, an an Ebo as well. I don't know if you know what that Um, is. Oh yeah, uh, I do. Yeah. And that's, I use that on the middle section and the end. section. Really? Yeah. So that was me showcasing my new purchase.
0: (laughs) 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 Your new toy.
1: But it's funny too, because, uh, Tim on the Mission's album, and uh, Simon Hinkler, the guitar player, uses a lot of Ebo. In fact, on the opening track from God's Own Medicine, is it Wasteland? That's yeah.
0: The,
1: Ebo is the prominent. Oh, song. you're right. The intro to that guitar as well. Yeah. That was uh, 1987, the year of the Ebo. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so there's a one of the. This was one of the songs I could find some lyrics for, and it does say. I mean, you can hear it in there. Can't go through this hell again. Were you going through hell at the time? Yeah. I mean, some of your songs are kind of dour, but you're a happy guy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know, I don't, uh, was that song, I think can't go through the hell again was from fall down like the rain, I think.
0: Was it? Oh, I, I thought I, uh, maybe that I could so. uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, everything you do is more uplifting. Yeah, yeah why did I hard write hard. that down? I, would I go got to, bad information, I got bad but information.
1: No but it's, it, it's more than um, in everything you do is more you know I would go to any Lentz to uh, do everything to be yeah. in everything you do.
0: Yeah, I said,
1: yeah. It's so soft. Right?
0: It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah this the first I mean every track on this album is great but the first three just knock you out one by one. Okay Ooh. track four, hear me call This one is, I think it's so, so, okay. There's a slight elephant in the room. You guys, whenever I look you up, you constantly get uh, compared to Echo and the Bunnymen, which Mm -hmm. is uh, to me really unfair. I mean, yes, there's a similarity there, but there's a similarity between all, uh, like I said, there's some similarities with the Cocteau twins. There's some similarities with the psychedelic furs. That sound was just what was happening in the UK at the time so i don't see anyone copying anyone i see bands making great music with the yep. sounds and the influences that are you know stewing around at that time i, I think what it is is
1: because you know if, if you look at what happened because we're of the age you know the bands like the bunny men so great first they were like a couple of years older than what we are but basically the same a similar generation mm-hmm. we're just slightly slightly a couple of years below but um You know, every one of those bands in the UK grew up with, like in 1977, 1978, it was it was punk rock. It was the Buzzcocks, and it was the Clash and the Sex Pistols, and that was the big influence. And like every, all of those bands were into that as as teenagers. And then in after that, there was what the post-punk thing, which was when you had bands like Bunny Men Bonnymen, up Explodes, Julian Cope, Psychedelic Furs. Which were bound who'd come through, the punk thing, but didn't want to. They wanted to evolve from that, and so there, there was a lot of kind of 60s influences, like the the Velvet Underground and the Doors. Yeah. And, that. and so then the Lemon Drops was kind of a step the next kind of one down, whereas we would we basically took from from all of that from right. from the 60s stuff from the. You know the, the those nuggets compilation albums, the yeah. good old punk stuff, and there was there was still a bit of a, a punk and a post punk influence with us. So it was a combination. We all had the same kind of influences, really.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, that most- makes sense to me. This song I feel like has uh, the the chorus doesn't it goes in a weird way, like you wouldn't uh, such odd uh, like chords. The u. Those aren't the notes that you think you're gonna hear in a chorus, but that's what it does. And uh, it's weird, so I, its weird. It
1: doesn't really have a chorus. It kind of has. True. It kind of has two sections: the verse section, and then there's the that that second section, and then there's a third middle section. Yeah. And then it kind of goes back to that. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It is. It's a. Uh, that was me. That was one of my songs pretty okay. much. Okay. I have no idea what I was thinking of
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really unique spin. Like I said, you, yeah. you know, when you're a music lover and you hear songs on the radio, you kind of learn to anticipate where a quarter of, you know, a note might go. And that yeah. one goes in a different direction than any song I can think of, you know? Yeah. Just on that you, that one, that yeah. part, you know, that doesn't, I don't know. I can't think of another yeah. song that does it quite like that.
1: Well, it's... Uh, I don't know where that, that came
0: from. <laughs> bolt of bolt of inspiration for you.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean okay. but it was uh, yeah. Okay. That was you know, that was one which I mean I guess that was never really would have been shortlisted as a single. Right. But I think it works well in, yeah. in the rest of the album and yeah if it fits in, you know.
0: It's great. Okay, yeah. track five is No Bounds. This one also has a really driving beat, very cool breakdown kind of in the middle. Okay, so I'm going to be critical for a minute. I have a slight pet peeve with songs that use the words baby or yeah Mm. uh, over and, over, you know, too often. And there's a lot, there's a few more babies in this. It relies too heavily on baby for my personal taste. It's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve. But anyway, tell me about the creation of uh, No Bounds.
1: Uh, no, band, that was Tony. That was one of his okay. songs.
0: Well, good. We'll blame it on Tony then. Yeah, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> I love the song. I just get annoyed by too many babies sometimes.
1: But We used we to have a thing that it's like c- certain words and phrases sound better in songs than, than others, you know. And it's like, um, even though, you know, we grew up listening to a lot of, um, you know, around the time that we were making these records, it was, it was quite political in the UK. And there's a lot of... Um, you know people like Paul Weller and uh, um, you know Billy Bragg, yeah. you know, there was a big the, the Red Wedge movement, there was the anti yeah. movement you know and we, we, we all grew up very working class you know we all had blue-collar jobs before the band you know I worked in construction you know we that's basically what we did you know then yeah. we we're all unemployed you know I, there was you know, a lot of unemployment and a lot of jobs were lost, again, in the kind of the Thatcher period, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: But that was kind of always kind of, you know, not looming over, and that's what we, politically was going on. But we kind of felt that we didn't really need to involve that in our songs, mm. because, you know, you don't want to be not pigeonholed into that, but we just thought there's other bands and artists that know a lot more about it than we do. They're all well versed on that. Yeah. So we just, you know, um, you know, I think Tony used to say, you know, certain words and phrases sound good in, in songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So the emphasis was more on that, really.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, be it Baby and Yeah, and those are, those, you know. Maybe Listen
1: to The, listen to the Doors. There's a lot of babies and a lot
0: of years in the door. Yeah, well, they're in, they're, I mean, there's standards in pop music parlance. It's just, uh, if songs that, like, for instance, one of my least favorite songs ever is that Lenny Kravitz song, um, Fly Away, because the chorus is basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, oh, that drives me crazy. Like, say something other than yeah or baby. But anyway, it's just a little of <laughs> mine. Uh, I get where you're going though. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, tr- so now we would flip the the album over. It's track two. It's side two. Well, back in the day, down like rain. What's that? Back in the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lucky like,
1: you now again. It's back though with uh, <laughs> the kids getting into the vi- vi- vinyls. <laughs>
0: Are you a big vinyl guy?
1: Oh yeah, I always have been. Yeah. You know, never. I'm one of the few that you know. I'd always collected records, and you know, um, I know. I mean. Quite a few of our friends, when CDs came around, got rid of their vinyl, mm-hmm. and then when see you know then 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 they got rid of their CDs. When I I yeah. admit I did that. I I had way too many CDs, mm-hmm. uh, but I never did sell any of my records, any of my vinyl. So oh, I do wow. still have them, and I'm nice. glad they've come back because I you know yeah. I've always collected it. You know, so it's
0: good. Yeah. yeah. Oh no way. So yeah, fall down like rain. Uh, my understanding is that. Was this the second single from the album? Because there is a video for this song.
1: Indeed, there is. Yeah. Okay. We actually, for the single, we actually re- we re-recorded some of it. We uh, the album version's different to the uh, the single mm. version, and we went in with uh, with Dave Dave Balfe. Uh, he was in Teared up Explodes, and he ran oh. Food Records at the time, and uh, he produced a lot of stuff. He produced the early Bunny rent stuff, funnily enough. So we redid it. We added some guitar. I added a twelve-string riff. Uh, we got a female backing vocalist in, which yeah. is the, the album version. The video is quite simple, actually. It's basically a live concert. We we filmed um, a show that we did in London, and uh, I think the that's what we edited for the video. Okay. So it was that basically. Yeah. That was the, the second single from the album. Yeah.
0: Who uh, who makes singles decisions? Did you guys have a say in this? Did you pick it? Did Tim? Did the label?
1: A lot of it's the record company.
0: Okay. You
1: do have a say in it if you really, you know. We were quite lucky that we, when we actually signed two separate record deals. In the US, we were on Sire Records. In the UK, we were on in the UK and Europe, we were on Chrysalis Records. And we were quite fortunate. We we had quite a bit of input in in what we you know what was chosen as a single. And that if we if we really really didn't want something, mm. we could have probably got our way.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: but it, normally we were quite lucky that the people we worked with were on the same page as what we are. Yeah. And it was like you know you couldn't argue that inside Out was that's probably the single for me album. You know. Right. And I mean, we all thought it and the record label thought it. So there was no butting of heads, you know. Sure. So, but we said all down like the rain, you know. It was, the record label said that should probably be the second single and we just went, yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) Well, it's it's more of a rocker for sure. And uh, there's a really big chorus. And um, did you, I don't even know, you know, Inside Out on... (sighs) None of these songs get played as often as I would like to hear them played on the radio uh-huh. to this but, day. But if you're going to hear one, you'd probably hear Inside Out. Was Fall yeah. Down Like the Rain, was that getting good airplay? Was it getting traction in the UK or in the US or anywhere? It did okay.
1: It didn't okay. do as well as uh, Inside Out. I think yeah. Intel, that was a hard one to follow. Yeah. Because it got so much. It was, you know, the cloud, I mean, it was like a. A minor hit worldwide. It was wasn't a major hit anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. But it was um, it was kind of you know, so I mean, Fall falling like the rain was the obvious one for that. But whether it was going to achieve the what Inside Out did was um, was always let's just you just give it a go. You put it out. Through our curves, you know. But it did okay. It got some radio play, you know, and all that. But um, it didn't do what Inside Out did. But
0: yeah, was there a third single?
1: Uh, no, there was not. No, okay. I think there was maybe going to be, but I think by that point we'd we'd started working on the third album. Mm. So okay. uh, no, there wasn't
0: actually. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So the next song is Crystal Clear, and this one is my second favorite song on the album. I, oh, right. I, Inside Out is number one, and Crystal Clear is number two. just again going back beautiful chiming guitars that reminds me and again I'm I'm not saying anyone stole from anyone but you know a year or two later the Sundays were doing songs Mm -hmm. that sounded a lot like this and going back to lush and the psychedelic burrs and stuff Paul Mm -hmm. gives a really beautiful pleading vocal performance on this one one thing I'm curious about so I had the producer Don Dixon on here a couple of years ago yeah he you know he produced those rem <laughs> albums and stuff yeah. and of course the idea of this chiming guitar came up that birdsy and and i'm just curious how you get that sound and i was joking with him like is there a you know is there a knob that you twer that you turn to the chiming effect and that's where it comes from how do you do you play a different guitar do, is it an effect is it uh, a room how do you get it
1: i don't want to give Tim Palmer, the producer's tricks away. Right. But a lot of the chiming guitar came from. It was. I mean, today there's a lot more effects you can use to get that. But I do remember one of the things that we would do would be we'd slow the tape down to half speed and double the guitar at half speed. And then when you play it back at full speed, it's the same thing in the same tune, but it gives it that chiming. Ah. 99% 99% sure that's what the riff of Crystal Clear okay that
0: was, okay
1: so that, and that was nowadays you can just push a you can get a plug in uh, that will
0: <laughs> yeah
1: that will do that on a, but um, in those days we didn't have any of that it was all I mean all those records were recorded to tape uh-huh. you know there was no uh, Pro Tools no digital chopping things around you know if yeah. anything was chopped around it was literally with with
0: a you know a not a knife yeah um, the box cutters or whatever it is yeah yeah
1: Yeah. glued together yeah
0: wow does Paul do like I mentioned his vocal on this song I think is just so gorgeous and uh powerful does he have any tricks does he have a thing he do he does before he sings does he like drink tea does he gargle something does he do vocal exercises, anything like that?
1: Probably a uh, single malt scotch in the uh, light <laughs> <late> at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's I think, how he I think,
0: prepares for the day. <laughs>
1: well, I'm trying to think because um, I, I think that he did the vocal to Crystal Clear. I don't think I was there.
0: Really? I, think
1: it was, I had a family event to go to and I, I was given the evening off. So I actually went down to London for uh, uh, someone's birthday. Uh (laughs) I know that sounds terrible. (laughs) But but I know that basically, what we would do, because at at Uh Rockfield, we'd we'd work decent hours. We'd we'd get up at like 9 or 10, we'd have breakfast. We'd work through to like 5 or 6 o'clock, then we'd have a break, then we'd have dinner Mm. at around 6.37. And then we'd either do a couple of hours, do a bit more, and that's when you know, because after dinner, you know, maybe we'd like, you know, had wine with dinner and stuff. Well, and, uh-huh. so that's when we'd kind of loosen up a bit and do some fun stuff. Sometimes we'd just take a break and go down into the village and go to the pub or something. But, but uh, quite a few of the vocals were done later at night. when okay. you
0: know,
1: And I'm, but I'm pretty that's, sure that's um, that's how Paul.
0: Did,
1: okay. That kind of makes did. sense.
0: I mean, if if you're the lead singer. I Maybe you'd prefer being on your own. No one else needs to be there to play the instruments. You probably just have the room to yourself and kind of concentrate. I would probably be the same if I was a lead singer. Um, yeah,
1: it's like with me when I work with, with bands, you know, it's sometimes it's not... You're not going to get the best out of a, a vocalist at 11 o'clock in the morning.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: it's like you're going to have to like kind of warm up and a bit later in the day and then they'll kind of feel it a little
0: more. Yeah. That makes but, sense.
1: Uh, I, c- I can't recall um, on board with that and doing many vocals in broad daylight. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can see were that. Done, we're done later. Uh,
0: okay, late I can see in that.
1: In the early evening.
0: Okay, the next track is uh, Hollow Inside. and this one we're going back to just another kind of raging chorus this song the word that i wrote down is exorcism this song sounds <laughs> like having to kind of exercise or purge something from inside that deny deny hearts you know, what's the story with hollow inside
1: you'd have to ask to, that's tony's is it tony tony's in. okay yeah um tony was more of a. Um, you know, uh, what's the word? He's, his lyrics, you couldn't really ask him about them because he'd never oh. tell them what they were about, for one thing. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't really know, but it, it is kind of dark. That's yeah. the whole kind of feel of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, Tim did a great job on that one as well. Yes. Bringing, bringing a lot out of it. There's a lot of great. Kind of production, little little bits and pieces on it. Again, we have the guitar kind of doubled with that that kind of half-speed effect, which gives it that that sparkle. Why did
0: Tony end up leaving?
1: It was, you know, it was a funny thing really, because you know, at the time, you know, when you're younger, years seem longer than when you get
0: older. Very true. And
1: we felt like we'd been together, for like we, we formed in early 85, and Tony basically, you know, left the band in it was early 89, which was four years, yeah. which didn't seem like a long time. But when you were there, like pretty much from 90, sorry, 85, 86 on, we were with each other the most days. And yeah. we did long tours, like World Without End was, you know, i not use the word brutal, but I mean we we put it all in. We went everywhere. We we did, you know, you know, the US leg touring. We did we toured with Love and Rockets first. Oh. Then we took it then, we carried on, we did some dates with the church. Yeah, we did some dates on our own, then some dates with a band called the Rave Ups. Yeah, yeah, I love we did, the Rave Ups. Yeah, we, we did about 15, 20 dates with the Rave Ups opening. And that was like three months, you know, and we'd already done the UK. We'd already done Europe. Then the one thing I remember is that we were like three quarters of the way through the American tour. And our tour manager came in and he said, uh, I've got some amazing news, lads. He said, uh, Drew Lai. He said, I think we're going to Brazil. <laughs> south america and the rest of the band were like what what yeah and tony and, and tony's like oh fuck he's like i just want to can we just have a break can't we just go go home so i mean that, and that, i'm not having to pop tony for that but, no i mean, i, I understand idea of what that's kind of what he gets to be like it's like yeah you know, and, you know, and in recent years, I'm really good friends with Tony now, you know, and he said he was one of the biggest mistakes of his life was really leave the band, but it's just like, you know, things have happened. You know, he'd moved on. He was a couple of years older than me.
0: Mm. He
1: was, he'd just got married, you know, he'd just mm. bought a house and, you know, he just wanted a bit of time off. Yeah. You know? and, and instead of jumping up and down and doing cartwheels at the prospect of going to Brazil, Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, can I just yeah, one I more just, thing. Off? Yeah, so there he gets like that, you know.
0: I could see it. Did he yeah. go? Did he stay in music, or did he go legit? Did he go get he a regular job?
1: He got a really good job. You know, he's uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> huh. he really
1: got a popular, proper, proper job. job.
0: Huh? Wow. Okay. Good for Tony.
1: But he still keeps a hand in music. You know, he still plays a bit and stuff. And good. Uh, we even. Uh, I mean, this is going. Going forward and so we, we even did a reunion gig like in 2000, so there's like no you no know, But but Tony did say to me, I mean not even wasn't even that long after the band finished. You know we lost touch because I, I moved to America in '95 and I started I saw Tony getting like was any, a couple of years later, like '97, and he said the biggest regret of his yeah. life was leaving the band. Yeah. You know he said I like, he just said yeah, I can't explain it. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't, I was, it was driving me crazy. I was either yeah. going to go insane or, you know, and he said, but looking back, it was a mistake. Yeah. And I just said, yeah, I understand it. Don't, you know, yeah. know, odd feelings. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, so there was, you know, there was all this was kind of, you know. Um, sure. Well,
0: coming, it's got to be taxing know. being on the road that long and you're young and you're with well, the same dudes all been, the time.
1: Well, we'd started working on, on what was going to become Laughter. Tony actually plays on two of the songs on Laughter. Oh, okay. uh, which we recorded because we, we did a big tour again with the Mission UK. Yeah. I mean, they were so big. We, 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 we did a tour with them at the end of uh, 1988. We played like, like Wembley, for instance, in London. Whoa. That's how big they were. Nice. Like 12,000 people or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, that was Tony's last gig, by the way, it was
0: Wembley.
1: Oh, <laughs> wow, Lee. what a way
0: to go out.
1: <laughs> I know. So that was an exhausting year, you know. Yeah, I bet. No one jumped forward from finishing uh, finishing off the album. But, uh, of no, that's great. Um, do, that.
0: do you guys get, I would imagine you guys would get offers to reunite periodically. I mean, we do, yeah, at least well, in the UK, well, right? Let, why not do it once in a, why not do it more often? It's a bucket of money.
1: Uh, it, it is, yeah. I mean, it's it's the you know, logistics right now. I mean, everybody lives in different parts of the world, for one thing. I'm I'm talking to you in Burbank, California, you know,
0: right? Right, uh,
1: the rest of the band, you know, so in the UK, Tony had been living he was working in New Zealand for a while. Oh, wow, He's back in London now. You know, Keith in Birmingham, Paul's of all that. You know, it's uh, we, we we do we get offered stuff all the time, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the time will be right and everything uh, will come together.
0: Please Maybe do we'll, it. Okay. Uh, the now we're up to closer to you. This song is very meditative, there's kind of a soft tribal drum thing happening. And I kept, uh, it reminded me, I kept waiting for a crashing high-pitched synthesizer to come in because it reminded me a lot of Atmosphere by Joy Division. Joy Division, yeah. 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 It does
1: have that same kind of feel with the kind of the drums, yeah. the tom-toms and that same kind of... Uh, yeah. you know, we should have done that, we should have put the cymbal. Kind of crashes. You know what part
0: of Yeah, you know, when that high synth soars into that song, I was kind of, it reminds me of that.
1: Yeah, that was a fun song to play live. It was like a nice break. It kind of broke up the set. And uh, you could, you know, it would give our sound engineer life to have fun with the tom-toms, making it sound kind of huge and stadium-esque. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, but that was that song was pretty much Tony. Okay. He, that was his kind of concept and uh, you know, obviously it's the rest of the band. Making sure. the noise and playing on it and I did my little guitar bits and pieces. <laughs> and, were you uh,
0: were you a Joy Division fan? Did you ever see them live or anything uh, like that? Yeah,
1: I did. Yeah, some supported Buzzcocks in Ooh. Birmingham in um seventy nine eighty. Just uh-huh. just before they they, they actually they were. Kind of breaking at that point, breaking uh-huh. as in getting more, more popular. Uh-huh. And, uh, but, uh, I didn't see them, re- some of my slightly older friends saw them really early on. And, okay. And uh, actually, and our tour manager, Terry Mason, was actually, <laughs> this is a funny story, but he was actually the original drummer in Warsaw, which became Joy Division. Yeah! Then he became Joy Division's manager. Then he became Joy Division's tour. He kept getting demoted as the years progressed. <laughs> then he was their tour manager. Then he was New Order's mm. tour manager, and uh, so he would give us uh, countless you know tales and uh, uh-huh. anecdotes of all the uh, you know. Uh, That's the... hilarious. But, I mean, it's really funny because everybody would cons- you know perceive them as being these really kind of moody, dour. Yeah. Time, which is really not the case at all. Some of the stories that Terry told us were were unbelievable. Yeah. I read
0: um, Peter Hook's book. Uh, he wrote he wrote a giant book on Joy Division and a giant book on New Order. And I've read the New That's Order right. book. And yeah, he's anything but you know oh, yeah, down man. and depressive. He's a he's a party
1: oh, guy. Oh yeah, we used to. We, some of the stories I couldn't
0: repeat. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. You can tell. Reason. He, I'm he sure he read. did. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Um, Okay, second to last track is Breaking Down, Back to the Driving Beat and Bass. besides uh, the sequencing is that you guys as a group is that Tim
2: we
1: were pretty much again lucky in that we were kind of given the free reign to, to I can't ever imagine ever imagine ever remember even uh-huh. um, being told that we could not do something or we had to do something okay uh, which is kind of nice you know yeah. um, but you know I mean it's like we, you, you know, you, we, we, it's funny because with the Laughter album, we made a mistake of putting one of the most commercial songs at the end of the album, which was a song called um, uh, Beautiful Shame, which is the last song on Laughter. And it's overlooked because even though it became a single, it was actually the second single off the album. But no, nobody really knows it because we put it as track 10. So, you know. But breaking down, it was actually the last song written and the last song completed. It was half finished when we were recording the album, and um, we, uh, we 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 pretty much we finished the album, and then we got back together at Amazon Studios in Liverpool, and that's where we pretty much did breaking down. Okay. And uh, and a lot of that was done, in, which was unusual for us, but. We kind of put that together in the studio.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, that's how... uh, Okay. And it's funny you're saying that because that is actually supposed to be the last track on the album. Really? But what happened was, was in the US, they tagged on a B-side, which is Rumble Train, onto the album.
0: Rumble Train is at the end of Laughter. The end of World Without Shame is Shine.
1: Oh, you're right, you're right thank you thank you thank you i'm getting my albums confused
0: oh no, that's all right
1: okay well you know okay so we'll get to that then okay. that is actually another example of shine was actually a b-side got put on the end of the US version of the album.
0: I wondered about that, because... That,
1: that was done with Tim Palmer, and that was also done at Amazon Studios in Liverpool.
0: Shine was?
1: Yeah, and I actually yeah. love that track. That was, I do
0: too! There's that was... A... I've
1: got, uh, got to give Tim massive credit for that, because he, you know... That, that song, I think that was Tony, pretty much. Okay. A lot of it. But Tim did so much on that, I mean... Like he even does the backing vocals on the shine Tim does yeah <laughs> no way I, I don't think the band were even there when he did them.
0: Oh wow I think,
1: I think we'd like we went back home for some reason or <laughs> and Tim had started mixing it and then he came back and then he played it to us and we're like where did those vocals
0: come from I love it <laughs> yeah shine has this really beautiful it's a, it sounds like a harpsichord maybe or something at the beginning. Uh, it is. What it's like.
1: Yeah, it is. You know what? It's, it's cheating. It's actually it's a digital harpsichord.
0: Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't <laughs> quite put my finger on it, but it's it's just this. These really yeah. eerily beautiful chimes going through that song. You know, um, it's a
1: mixture of that, and it's a twelve-string guitar. Got it. Me, I'm playing the riff on a twelve-string, and I think Tim do. I think it's Tim playing it too. He doubled it with a harpsichord um, sample. Okay. Like, again, we embraced this newfangled sampling technology. Uh-huh. At that
0: point. <laughs> it's you know it makes sense. So one of the things, one of the notes I had written down about breaking down, is that the song ends, going back to the guitar playing with this sort of crazy squalling, just yeah. you know out, out yeah. of control sound. And that now that you mentioned it, as great an ending final track as Shine is I could imagine a band thinking well let's end our album with this gnarly guitar squalling sound. Was that sort of the thinking?
1: That's how it's supposed to end yeah yeah
0: yeah and then they
1: tag Shine on the end and it's like no you weren't supposed to do that
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shine's a great closer too though both those songs are great yeah
1: when I did that that was just and it, the, the guitar at the end of Breaking Down was just, Tim was just like, just go go crazy, go mad. And yeah. I just did it. And I, I never imagined that the track would be faded out. Yeah. And that, that would be left in. He was supposed to just be as one. Okay. And that, that, was, that was his idea. Okay. You know okay not think Wild. I was even there when he mixed
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's World Without End. This is, uh, I just think, pound for pound, one of the great... Uh, Albums of that genre and of that period every song is good Um, Yes, it's a classic and going back to the new album too. I uh, I You're one of these people who everything you do I want to know about it because (laughs) Your ear is so attuned to what I find pleasurable, you know Whether it's your own music or your bands or whatever. I love it. Right. Thank you. Brilliant yeah well thanks for talking with me dave Alright, there you have it, Dave Newton. Thank you, Dave, for talking with me. Guys, if you aren't paying enough attention to the Mighty Lemon Drops, please do. They only have like five albums, but they're all good. The quality level was so high. And I meant to mention this when I was talking to Dave and I forgot. Producer Tim Palmer, the thing I love about this album is that all, mem- all the members of the band get to shine. You can clearly hear the bass, the drums, the guitar. Nothing is buried in the mix. Everything is right there, independent, sounding fantastic. And that's Tim. And I'm so grateful that he did that it is a seminal album for sure and go check out david newton and the mighty angels Two ease a gateway to the to a lifetime of disappointment the album's on itunes spotify whatever go check it out now next week hopefully if our schedules align we've got another deep dive coming for you next time a key one of a super successful songwriter of the last 40 years Uh, wrote many of the songs on one of the most important R&B artists in history's album, and he talks about it. So that's what we're going to do next week, if everything aligns, okay? And, of course, join us on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. We love you.